0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Exhaust, your podcast about why nothing feels possible. Today, I am here with Mr. Jacob Shell, and we are going to talk about Latour, who has recently passed, and about the critique of science, critical theory, and what the hell we're supposed to do with the nature of material reality in general when it comes to ideology. Jacob, what's going on?
1: Hey, Emmett. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, really excited to have you on. So you recently wrote an obit, sort of, of sorts, for Bruno Latour, who recently passed. And before we get into sort of, like, who he is... Let's get into who you are. What's your deal? What's
1: my deal? So I'm a professor of geography at Temple University. I first do all sorts of things, usually involving maps. I, I make some maps, but usually it's not about maps. It can be about all, 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 all kinds of anything spatial, geospatial. For me, I've had a strong interest in transportation systems, energy systems to some extent. I spent the last decade writing a book and a bunch of articles about in Burma, Um mm-hmm because in Burma, they're used as a transportation system, or they have been in the past. And in some areas, right up through the, the present decade, they still are. Uh, so these are sort of some of my areas of interest. Latour is just one of those titanic figures that loomed really large when I was going to graduate school, I guess, in the the late aughts, early teens. That was in geography, but Latour, I'm sure, loomed loom large across the humanities. And much of the social sciences, maybe the more kind of like Qualitative or humanist-oriented social sciences during that time. So he's one of these figures that I've always felt a need to grapple with or or reckon with in some way, partially because of this this critique he he had articulated of late twentieth-century big science, mm-hmm. and then some of the problems with sort of committing to that critique or over-committing to that critique. But then there are also issues with over-committing. To complete throwing out the critique. So these are these are areas of interest that i've I've certainly had as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. well, let's let's dive right into that. And by the way, people, if you're interested in Jacob's books, check the show notes. They will be there for you to look into and hopefully purchase. But let's talk about big science, right? Like Latour seems to have his own theory for how, science versus or produces truths and how we respond to those. So I was wondering if you could sort of like flesh out what his view of big science is and how it works as a mechanism.
1: Sure, or at least I'll do my best. I mean, it, it can be sure. kind of I mean, vast, he's written so
0: many books, you know.
1: Yeah, but there's also kind of a way of simplifying it down to a sort of cartoon version, but that that's also kind of like a useful cartoon version. And so this is the version of Latour before he rejected everything he had he had said. So the the, the version I'm going to give is, is the part that it's from the peak of his career during the 70s, 80s and 90s. I mean, it's really what he's most famous for. And his critique of how science is produced is that in order to understand the way in which the scientific process and this could sort of be modern science, but also quite more historical, like early modern versions of science as well, is that there's certain truths that are become available that can be. Produced, scientists can't say any old thing at random. There's like there's a finite number of possible truths that can be produced, but to understand how science goes about selecting which truth it's going to produce, you have to actually enter into the sort of sociological and socio-technological spaces of the laboratory and other kinds of spaces connected to the laboratory. So to kind, of, I mean that's very like abstract. What that literally means for Latour is that if you're it, the person who actually has the is in the best position to find out how scientific truth is being produced is not the scientist or the mathematician or even the sort of conventional historian of science, but rather a sociologist who can go talk to scientists and observe how they're socially interacting with each other, observe the kinds of power flexes that happen internal to the lab or between labs or between scientists and great grant gatekeepers. And then to further kind of complicate that, Latour then allows that well in addition to these social relations kind of determining how one scientific argument is selected as true and another is selected uh, is selected as being not true You also need to bring in other kinds of elements and dynamics, like what kinds of technologies are looming large for Mm -hmm. the sciences at a given moment are sort of, is it like glass tubes where like the individual scientists can kind of figure out truth based on personal observations of what's happening in a a glass test tube? Or is it heavily computerized or reliant upon, I don't know, something like modeling
0: or something like that? Yeah,
1: modeling, having satellites orbiting around the world, taking tons of photographs. And so then that winds up determining a data set which structures what kinds of questions scientists are asking and and what kinds of solutions are sort sort of gestured at through the asking of those kinds of questions. And so, yeah, there's the social relations, the technological relations, the relations between social and what's technological. And also to some extent, Latour will even allow that nature itself as kind of like conventionally or naively defined, does kind of have some say in this too. Like to some degree, this is something that Latour had talked about, like um, the microbe that's getting experimented on in like a biological laboratory, that microbe gets to decide like, well, I'm either going to do a reaction to the experiment or B reaction to the experiment. And to some degree, that's also going to determine what's what's deemed to be scientifically true. Um, but for Latour, that last part, which I think a more kind of conventional understanding of the se- of the scientists would say, oh, that last part is that's that that's science is like experimenting on nature. And then nature has a particular answer and you figure it out through the scientific method. And that's that's how you determine scientific truth. But for Latour, that's just su- sort of like some that's just one little piece among a whole vast mm. network of different possible moving pieces, which are primarily social and technological rather than natural. And Latour called this vast network an actor network, and his theory was was dubbed actor network theory. So it's a sort of severely kind of skeptical and critical approach to looking at the sciences and the sciences claims to be producing objective neutral truth, basically saying, well, most of what's going on uh, for understanding how scientific truth is being produced has to do with what's happening socially and politically and there's a degree to which, though I don't know if Latour ever really used this term in his books from like the 80s and 90s, there's a degree to which you could read Latour as saying a lot of what's going on in sciences is a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy to produce a particular social mm. image of certain neutral truths, which aren't actually neutral, they're socially produced. Yeah, so that that's my attempt at Latour. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I probably missed some it- important component of it.
0: Sure. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, I think we could maybe talk about, like, his, just mentioned briefly, his thing on nature, from what I'm hearing, is just basically saying it's not infinitely plastic, right? Like, there are going to be limits on what's observable based on what you're observing by the virtue of what it is, you know? Like, you might be looking at stars through a telescope, and they're not going to start dancing on beat to Eiffel 65's blue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> are- exactly. Yeah so or, or
1: like you you can't you can't make the world become flat through your observations yeah, right, because yeah. the world's not. Flat. But on the other hand, to understand how people who are trying to figure out the shape of the world, a geodesy was the traditional name of that discipline, figuring out the shape of the world. But to figure out the shape of the world, what kinds of questions are you asking? It might not occur to you to ask a type of question where you're doing something like observing a, a ship's mass gradually disappear over the horizon. You might be asking, other kinds of questions. And then those questions would maybe tend towards an answer like, well, the world kind of seems to be, for all intents and purposes, flat. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the way in which those questions get arrived at would be very much social and political. And so in that way, even though to some degree, ultimately, the physical shape of the world has to have some sort of input into how some sort of answer is derived upon, there's so much sort of social and, and to some degree technological input that's also going into how those questions get structured that you could have a scientific society that's that's proceeding as if the world is flat um, and doing with any kind of contrary information in, in, indicating brownness. They would just come up with some other set of answers for that, like observations about uh, the stars and the planet and yeah, uh, the totally. sun and the moon moving. They could just come up with other kinds of paradigmatic answers for that.
0: Right. I remember I talked to online great books, which I haven't gotten a chance to sort of teach at in a while, but I would often run a seminar on the first book or two of Euclid's Elements. And one of the things we talk about is sort of the nature into which Lobachevsky's ideas about you know, parallelism would give way, would sort of undermine Euclid and then give way to relativity. You know, Einstein was directly pulling from some of his, Lobachevsky's observations. But then I would sort of point out that it's like, if you wanted to build a house using Lobachevsky, it would look insane and not be workable. But you could probably use some of Euclid in basic engineering. Or to take a more extreme and specific example, like B-52s ran under a Ptolemaic guidance system, basically, Mm. and it still worked, you know, so like the level, like, what are we talking about when we're talking about truth in the maths and sciences? Do we mean it works? Do we mean something like more transcendent than that? And what role does history play and politics play and how we decide these things? What do we do about the fact that, you know, Copernicus didn't necessarily have the best data sets? And that there were perfectly good reasons to doubt what was being looked at there, you know. Right. Um,
1: and so, so, with Latour, he's sort of there's an earlier and, in some ways, more famous work called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions from the 1960s by mm-hmm. Thomas Kuhn, which is basically it. It 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 it's, it basically establishes the field of looking at how science goes through different paradigms, and each paradigms is each paradigm is asking different kinds of questions, which are kind of arranged to arrive at certain kinds of like pattern, certain patterns of what kinds of answers would be possible given those questions, and and one of Kuhn's observations, or one of his, his his insights, I suppose, is that, um, so Kuhn thought that these paradigms did kind of proceed in a way where they're building on each other, so that there is sort of such a thing as progress. There's like a cumulative progression of paradigms, which is something that postmodernists like Latour rejected. But at the same time, one of the ideas that that Kuhn did come up with was that if you were to show some of the scientific ways of thinking of like, I don't know, a Newtonian conception of mechanics or gravity or something like that and show it to an earlier paradigm, I don't know, like some sort of like ancient Greek way of, of understanding mechanics or something like that. It's not like the ancient Greeks would be blown away and impressed by the answers. They might actually see the entire kind of arc of inquiry as being completely wrongheaded. So so one idea of Keynes is that, well, the ancient Greeks would look at the way in which Newtonian physics proceeds with gravity and say, right off the bat, you Newtonians have no idea what gravity is, like your entire sort of core entity or phenomenon here that you're building on you have no idea what it is, you're not making any attempt to describe what what that thing is in a metaphysical way. So this whole way of doing physics seems kind of inferior to the way we were doing physics, even if we can't make as accurate predictions as you Newtonians can. But on the other hand, what's so great about predictions? So so that was sort of a Cunian idea. No, I think that's kind of like leveling between different, different ways of doing science. Nonetheless, Kuhn thought that the different sciences were kind of progressing in a cumulative way. Which is something mm-hmm. that, by the time you get to, you know, basically a, a half generation or a generation past Kuhn, that kind of idea of of, of cumulative progressive in the sciences is, is is going away, and there's really this, especially with Latour, there's this like radical skepticism of the claims to like absolute authority that that modern sciences are making.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I had a tutor at St. John's who was, you know, had been a scientist, and so he did sort of the science module seminar thing that we did. And we were reading Aristotle's physics, you know, in it, Aristotle sort of like a rock's natural place is the ground. And he's like, if you don't believe me, go and throw one up in the air a million times. And, you know, the tutor was sort of like, seems empirical. <laughs> like that's something you could observe. And somebody's he's like, well, yeah, but now we know it's different and gravity is this. And they sort of, this was an engineer and trotted out you know, Newton's formula. And he goes, what you've given me is a mathematical formula. You have not told me what gravity is or means.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: And the kid was sort of like, huh? You know? And he's like, and I'm not saying you're wrong. He's like, I'm saying that there appears to be some sort of trade off in terms of like what level of right we're talking about or what we mean, which isn't to be a relativist. But to really like understand these things, as you sort of said via Cune, like an understanding of like appreciating what different frameworks actually mean.